Principles of Economics, my complete guide to understanding economics, is now available in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook from safeddean.com, Amazon, and many more booksellers worldwide. And now, I am also teaching a course based on this book on my website, safeddean.com. Principles of Economics will run the whole academic year, from September to June, and will have a new lecture every two weeks, as well as weekly live online discussion seminars open to learners from all over the world and from all walks of life. Whether you're a student, a professional, or a retiree, you are making economic decisions every day, and this course will arm you with the wisdom of centuries of economists to improve your economic decision-making. You'll also get a free book of Principles of Economics if you sign up for the course. Go to safeddean.com and sign up now. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by Orange Pill App, the Bitcoin-only social network that connects you with high-signal Bitcoiners, events, and now merchants as well. If you're like me and can't stop talking about Bitcoin, you know how challenging it can be to talk to the no-coiners and how nice it is to talk to someone who gets you. With the Orange Pill app, you can find the Bitcoiners near you and they can replace the no-coiners in your life. You can organize events and meetups with local Bitcoiners and wherever you travel, you can meet up with local Bitcoiners all while being as anonymous as you like. So if you want to build your local network of Bitcoiners, find a Bitcoin meetup or merchants accepting Bitcoin, head over to orangepillapp.com to sign up or download the app from the App Store or Google Play Store and send me a DM so we can get connected. The Bitcoin Standard Podcast is brought to you by CoinKite. CoinKite are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware. They produce the legendary Open Dime, the first Bitcoin bearer asset, as well as the reliable cold card hardware wallet, the excellent stainless steel seed plates for storing your seed phrases, and the block clock. Now, CoinKite have produced the SATS card, a card the size of a credit card which can store Bitcoin and works great as a gift. CoinKite have just produced a limited edition gorgeous Bitcoin Standard SATS card, which carries the Bitcoin Standard logo, and you can get it from coinkite.shop slash Bitcoin Standard. Use the code Bitcoin Standard to get 5% off your purchase. This podcast is also brought to you by the Bitcoin Way, your professional Bitcoin IT team offering you personalized, secure, and comprehensive solutions for every step along your Bitcoin journey. The Bitcoin Way offer live concierge service to guide you with your Bitcoin cold storage, running your node, privacy best practices, inheritance planning, corporate strategy, and multi-sig solutions. They don't touch your coins, they guide you through the process of acquiring your coins and securing them. If you'd like to make your setup safer and more reliable, book a consult with them and see what they have to suggest. If you want to give someone the gift of Bitcoin, get them this professional service that will ensure they start off knowing exactly how to manage their coins and not lose them. Go to thebitcoinway.com and start Bitcoining more confidently. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin Standard Podcast. Our guest today is Daniel Harmon. Daniel is the creator and showrunner of the Tuttle Twins TV show, an award-winning cartoon that teaches kids about principles of freedom and economics. It's based on the book series that has sold over 5 million copies. In 2020, Tuttle Twins set a record as the number one crowdfunded kids show in the world. And I should also add, they, I am a big fan of the Tuttle Twins books. I read them for my uh, kids. They enjoy them a lot. And it's, um, it's very good to get the kids uh, started early on thinking about these ideas because they are 
you know, for most of us, we discovered these ideas in university because we were the victims of uh, state-run <laughs> education system. But these ideas are very, uh, a lot of them and the intuitive basis of them is very easily, I think, understandable by young children. So I'm, I'm very glad for all the work that you guys are doing. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So let's begin by talking a little bit about you and your background and the Total Twins. So what draws you to this world? For me, it starts actually when I was much younger. I, unlike a lot of people that haven't been introduced to these ideas very early on, my parents were very freedom-loving parents. I was a mixture of homeschooled, private schooled, and public schooled. And in the little private school I went to, my uncle ran that school and he based the curriculum off of history. And so he, he actually taught a lot, a lot of these principles. He actually taught about inflation in his curriculum and kind of opened our minds as kids to the idea that inflation didn't just have to be that way. I just thought, always thought it was. The prices just always kind of gradually rose and that you had to kind of worry about your savings and that kind of thing. But he actually taught us about where that came from. So I, I had a foundation of freedom from growing up with, you know, in a small farming community in Idaho. And then later on, as an adult and with kids of my own, I have, I have seven kids, and in trying to find resources to teach them about these things, because no longer had my uncle to rely on in order to um, teach them, I was looking for resources and Connor Boyack and Elijah Stanfield that wrote, you know, the, the Tuttle Twins book series, they released their first book, The Law. And I, you know, bought it immediately, read it with my kids, really enjoyed it. My kids really understood it well. And every book that they've released since, I was, we were buying, we were reading together as a family. And so when the momentum of the book series started to really grow and Connor started entertaining the idea of turning it into a TV series, uh, content creation and video. And that was my background. That was my career. And so my team and I approached him and said, hey, what if we turn it into a TV series for you? And that's kind of how this partnership uh, began. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. It's, you know, if you've, you've got young kids today, you've obviously noticed just how difficult it is to get them to uh, spend time doing things that are mentally stimulating rather than things that are mentally destructive, which is most of the things that they get to see online or on TV are what I would call very high time preference TV in that it's made to give children um, happy feelings and satisfaction immediately by seeing, you know, nice, bright colors and attractive stories and funny graphics and so on, but don't really uh, do much in the long term. And it's uh, difficult to find something that actually makes a child think. And uh, that's, that's what's so great about Total Twins as a book series and now as a, as videos. So how is the uh, video series going? And of course, now tell us about your foray into Bitcoin as well. Yeah, so the the cartoon's doing very well. Um, as you mentioned, we set a crowdfunding record in 2020 for the most crowdfunded um, kid show of all time. That record was broken a few months later, but we held it. We held that number one record for, for a few months. And you also mentioned how most of the entertainment that's available right now on YouTube, Disney+, Netflix, TikTok, and that kind of thing is very flashy. And so the vision for the show was to actually make it so it was an adventure 
that kids would choose to watch, that it would be entertaining, it would be bright and colorful, but it would also help them think critically about those things, that it would bring in those principles. It's a little bit of that concept of a, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. That's a little bit of what we are going for, where the book series is primarily focused um, on the education side of things. I'd say it's about 90% education, 10% entertainment. And we go sort of the reverse with that inside of the cartoon, where it's about 90% entertainment, 10% education. And the reason for doing that is, again, we feel like we can succeed ultimately with this with a broader audience if kids are viewing this as entertainment and not just as education. Not something that they just have to watch, but they get to watch, that they're really engaged with the characters, that they love the adventures. And so that's been sort of the vision for the show from the beginning and that it would also appeal to adults. We wanted adults to sit through a kid's cartoon and not feel like they're like, oh man, I just have to watch this thing, that they're actually engaging with it. They're understanding the principles better than ever. And it's been very successful in that regard. And that we have, I think it's, we're at an 8.7 on IMDb on the score, which is you know very high. And we're, I think we're at close to 100% on our audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, if not 100%. So it's been very, very well received. And um, I always go back to the original Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire, where he's, it says, when great power, with great power comes great responsibility. And if I say that, pretty much anybody can, if I say with great power comes, almost anybody can complete the line, oh, it comes great responsibility. You, you learn that truth and that principle very well because of all that great storytelling around it but you don't think of that as like an educational movie, right? So that's been a little bit of um, what's happened with the show. I don't know if I answered any of your questions that you just asked, but <laughs> I just no. went off on that. Yeah, no, that, that's um, that's quite interesting. And so how many episodes have you guys done so far? I think it's about 14 or something. Yeah, we have a full season of release. There's 12 episodes. It's available for free on the Angel app. So Angel Studios is known for um, The Chosen. Um, which has been kind of a global phenomenon. And um, it's available for free on the Angel app, the first full season, 12 episodes. And then we have two episodes in release now of season two. And then now we have our Bitcoin episode coming right up. Yeah. So what's that about? Can you show us some sneak peeks? Um, yes, we can. Well, I don't, I don't have the feed right now to, to share my screen of a sneak peek. I, I, I don't know that I was quite prepared for that. But maybe my producer here can pull it up. But anyway, I'll I'll talk until she's got that ready. But essentially, the twins run into so this the story revolves around the Tuttle twins, uh, Ethan and Emily Tuttle, and they are having a garage sale with their dad, and they've got this vintage little arcade game system that one of their neighbors comes up and and wants to buy, and is offering a hundred dollars for it. And then another neighbor, neighbor comes up and offers the same thing, but says, I'll buy it in Bitcoin. And then they're having to make the, this, this decision. Wait, do we take the cash or do we take the Bitcoin? And then they're like, the neighbor, Corinne, with the cash is saying, Bitcoin, that's just, isn't that just air? Isn't that just made up money? Grandma, who is there, the main one that does the help, helping the twins on their adventures of learning says, well, all money's made up. And they go on this adventure where they go into the internet and they end up meeting Satoshi Nakamoto, who we 
we disguise his identity the entire time. If any of you have seen the show Home Improvement from like back in the 90s um, with Tim Allen, there was a yeah. character on there called Wilson, and they never showed his full face, right? You would He would always see him talk, and he would never... You would never see his full face on the show at all. And that's kind of how we treat Satoshi Nakamoto, where we keep his um, identity ambiguous so that, I mean, because we don't really know even to this day who he is. And so we liked that sort of bit of mystery around it. And they go and they learn from him about the history of Bitcoin. And they learn about the difference between hard money or sound money and easy money. When you're, I mean, obviously all the things that are very well detailed in your book and that this audience will know all about is, you know, when you have money that's easy to create, it creates all sorts of problems. When you have money that's hard to create, you have um, much more stable um, economies and societies and much less things like war. And anyway, they, they go in and learn about the differences between those two things, how Bitcoin came to be, and then go and apply that back to their life. They actually get to go apply it in a little bit of a video game world that they're sucked into virtually and, and, and playing. But let's see if you want to let me know when you have a clip. Um, let's, let's look at the one where they first meet Satoshi Nakamoto. The syllabus for my new online economics course, Principles of Economics, is now available on safedean.com. The course will take place over 18 lectures, each based on one chapter from my new book, Principles of Economics, which will be available for free as an ebook for everyone registering for the course. Lectures will be released once every two weeks on Mondays, starting on the 25th of September, 2023, and will be available in video and audio format. Live discussion seminars will be held once a week on Thursdays at alternating time slots, 12 hours apart, to ensure learners can attend from all over the world. I'm happy to announce that I have set up my new publishing house and online bookstore, The Safe House, which will be publishing and delivering the best Bitcoin and Austrian economics books worldwide in hardcover, audiobook, and ebook formats. Go to thesafehouse.com to buy my latest book, Principles of Economics, as well as the Fiat Standard and the Bitcoin Standard. And now I'm also publishing Fiat Food, Matthew Lishak's amazing investigation into how inflation ruined our diet and health. And I'm also publishing Lynn Alden's Broken Money, her masterful exploration of the failures of the global financial system and how Bitcoin fixes it. This is a Bitcoiner's bookshop, so the books are printed in beautiful cloth hardcover made to last with an ice-colored dust jacket on top. Go to thesafehouse.com and get yours now. You're showing Bitcoiners Satoshi Nakamoto's a little sacrilegious here. Uh, people might not. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're going to push the limits of our audience and see what, uh, <laughs> what they think. It's a little sacrilegious, huh? Well, I, I, maybe I'm not enough of a, a Bitcoin enthusiast to <laughs> just like, ah, this is kind of fun. Let's just pretend that he exists as a real person and, and all that. And, <laughs> and we'll just won't fully reveal his identity. Nice. Okay, so let's go to the part where they meet him. So she's pulling it up. Just to give some context. The twins' grandma has a time-traveling wheelchair. It's also an interdimensional portal. It's essentially a go-go gadget machine. It can do whatever she's kind of needing to um, do at the moment in order to teach the lessons or to help them with different situations. And in this case, they're actually pulled into the internet, kind of like with Wreck-It Ralph. And they're inside the internet right now at a place called Crypto Corner. 
And so they have this run-in with, you know, the different NFTs like the board apes and, <laughs> and that kind of stuff. But now they're going to have a little bit of a run-in with uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. I'm more than just a picture, man. I'm a revolution. Did you just screenshot me, bro? And then, and then, Satoshi! Gabby, how did you find me? The same way I found my lost dentures. Oh, smell. You smell like dentures. Hey, now. Listen, I need someone to help me navigate the URLs. The internet has changed a lot since I invented it with Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, he did nothing. Well, I am quite savvy on the interwebs. This is Satoshi Nakamoto, brilliant innovator, disruptor, and the anonymous inventor of Zitcoin. It's Bitcoin. Oh, it's not named for your acne? Hey, you can't prove I have that. After inventing Zitcoin... Bitcoin? Satoshi disappeared and hasn't been heard of since 2010. Oh, well, we won't ask you about your identity or how many zits you have, but we do need to ask you an important question. Okay, so we're kind of torn whether to sell our vintage game for dollars or Bitcoin. Which one's better? Hmm, I could tell you. Or I could show you, because we're in the internet. Whoopsie, this is the early internet. Long. Okay. So there's the little introduction to Satoshi Nakamoto. And then he goes into, I'm not going to give it all away, but he goes in to start breaking down a history of money with them and how things like were outlined in your book, things like shells and gold and those different things were used as forms of money before he tells them about the creation of Bitcoin. Nice. And so then I, I guess the audience is big enough to handle spoiler alerts. So well, what is the... Uh... <laughs> I mean, well, if you're really keen, uh, he's going to give away some spoilers now, probably. I'm going to try and talk yeah. about it. So you might want to skip the next uh, two minutes of the podcast. <laughs> well, basically, he's going to go through some of the Bitcoin white paper. So <laughs> not a lot of spoilers here, but essentially he, he tells about how the blockchain works, how because of the network effect of Bitcoin being verified and the blockchain and the ledger being verified by computers all over the world, there's no one person that can manipulate it and create more Bitcoin out of nothing, that it's limited. And so he explains how hard it is to create Bitcoin. And then they kind of come away with the, the sense that like, oh, Bitcoin is a, is a better standard for money, even though they weren't really wrapping their heads around it at the beginning. Like a digital currency, why can't you just copy and paste that? And then he explains how if you try to do that, it will be rejected by the network. And it will essentially force them to, you know, reconcile the real numbers. And then from there, they go into um, a video game world that's actually inside of the video, the vintage video game system that they are um, looking to sell. Why don't we jump ahead to the video game just a little bit? And we'll show just a little bit of that where they go inside their video game world and watch how the money is being manipulated. Ruby. <gasps> Queen. Money craft, my favorite. Wait, 
Grandma, you play Minecraft? Me and Satoshi have been playing since 2010. Why do you think he disappeared? We're obsessed. I'm a level 100 tycoon. Yeah, well, we love it too, but we really don't have time for this right now. Lyle's out there. We're in here, and in a few minutes, the deal is off, and we lose our chance to make any money. Can't you just blast us back to reality? Sorry, but video game wheelchairs don't have enough power to blast into different dimensions. I don't make the rules. How are we going to get out of here? Emily, if we want to get out of here, I think we need to beat the game. But every time we've played, we've lost. No pressure, just win or we get stuck in here forever, like Drumanji over there. Ah, uh, Gabby. Drew? All right, we can do this. We just need to fill up our wealth bars before the game timer runs out. So conveniently, 10 seconds before Lyle leaves. Yes, Emily, it's called a ticking clock and it adds a sense of urgency to move our narrative forward. Okay, Moneycraft actually has a great money system. The currency here is rubies, which are really hard to mine, keeping the value stable. Yes, our wealth bars are almost full. If we could just find a few more rubies, I think we're there. And without Dad here to stop us, there's nothing to slow us down. Hmm. The twins won't mind if we do a little test run. Try before you buy, am I right? Move on! <sighs> I've got a trick that'll help me crush this game. Up, up, down, down, right, left, right, B, A, and start! the rubies! Since the money isn't hard to create anymore, the rubies are losing their value! She's making herself richer! While making everyone else poorer! When money's easy to make, society begins to break! Okay, let's pause right there. There we go. So that's all the further we'll go with that one as well. We have the Korean character who had the cash at the beginning that she was offering to pay for that video game system. And then the other boy, Lyle, was offering to pay him Bitcoin. And then now the twins have been sucked inside that video game world and they're trying to earn, fill up their wealth bars with rubies. And then she goes in and puts in her cheat code and creates all this money out of thin air, which is driving the value down for everybody else. So we're trying to do this in a fun visual way that obviously parents of kids of this age will get sort of the side scroller um, kind of video game reference of it. And then also it'll hopefully bring in really good discussions about, you know, what money really is, what value really is and what inflation does to a currency. And then later on, we'll see how, in the episode, again, we're not going to show it all here, but how Bitcoin comes in to sort of save the day in this scenario. So we also, we don't try to oversell Bitcoin in this episode. We we very much openly acknowledge the risks of it. It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's there's there's any any investment comes with real risks that you should only invest what you're willing to lose. All those kinds of concepts we go over and that it goes up and down and has some volatility and so we're, we're, we very openly acknowledge that kind of thing, but that we do kind of break down the sound or hard money basis of Bitcoin for people to better understand. Because quite honestly, a lot of our audience, a lot of, a lot of our viewers don't even really get Bitcoin and they think it's a terrible thing. And that's just fine. We're hoping just to open their ideas, uh, open their minds a little bit more to 
of what, what money really is. The money is a little bit um, arbitrary, but it needs to, like you descri uh, describe in your book, there are certain attributes that make for really good money versus bad money. Yeah, I got to say, I really like that energy bar metaphor of the, as she starts mining all those rubies, the money increases in supply. And so the value of their energy goes down. I think that's a very powerful visual because like, I think for the majority of Bitcoiners, uh, this is what you think of really when you, I think probably people my generation, we grew up playing video games. There is that element of your energy and you're just picking up energy. And I think uh, once you understand how fiat money works, that's that's a very good way of thinking about it. I never, I never quite expressed it that way. It obviously wouldn't really. <laughs> I mean, who knows? But like, I, I I don't imagine it working very nicely in the context of an academic book, where you use <laughs> to describe uh, you know the energy of the uh, um, like you draw a metaphor to a Super Mario game or something. Uh, but yeah. I think in the context of a cartoon for kids, it works really well because you know they're trying to collect the rubies to get out, but somebody's making all those rubies, and so the value of rubies is becoming less and less valuable for everyone. That evil smile also just uh, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, the we're using it in there. We're calling it wealth bars, but you're you're very correct in that in video games that's often represented as energy, and obviously, you know, energy. Money is energy, right? That it's it's a representation of energy, like you describe in your book, and so it's yeah. It, we're hope we're hoping it connects some dots for people. This is the single most complex lesson that we've ever tried to teach in an episode, <laughs> um, oh, as wow. as you can imagine. And so we we went a lot of rounds in trying to make this as understandable as possible. I think at the end of the day, it will be more understandable still for the parents than it will be for the kids. But I think they'll grasp enough of the concept of it of how Bitcoin can't just be inflated like crazy, like a fiat currency, like the dollar or um, any other number of uh, fiat currencies. But yeah, that's that's the hope is we at least get the discussions going around the dinner table for the family. Yeah, and I like I like the fact that, you know, the, the concept is, the episode is not so much about Bitcoin in as much as it is you're using Bitcoin to illustrate the concept of hard and yeah. easy money, which I think is a much better way of approaching it when you're, doing it in a cartoon uh, for kids, you know, you're not out there trying to just sell Bitcoin, which would be out of context because it, it's not very obvious that kids should be spending any of their money on uh, right. Bitcoin uh, at this point. And coming at it quite directly to market, it might be counterproductive. But I think the way that you do it here is very good because it gets to teaching a very important lesson, which is the main lesson of the Bitcoin standard, you know, the difference between hard money and easy money, an enormously important topic and uses Bitcoin as the uh, object lesson because Bitcoin really is the most important or, you know, the hardest money ever. So therefore the best example. You could yeah, use. that's, that's why we're going to it again. It's, it's not going to be a very clickable title for people if they, if we say hard money versus soft money, cause everyone will be lost. But if we say Bitcoin, we think more people <laughs> will be interested. So that is the, you know, the name of the episode is Bitcoin and the beast. And that'll be revealed in the episode why we say the beast, there's a beast inside this video game that um, comes into play a little bit later. But yeah, we, we figure it's the, like you said, it's to, to date has proven itself, proven itself to be the hardest money ever. And we are doing our best to try to communicate that. But like you said, hopefully not overselling very much, making people aware of, of the risks and help helping them think more critically about their money at the end of the day. Anyway, we, we've had success in doing that with subjects like inflation in the past, entrepreneurship, 
property rights, rights to life, liberty, and property, things like the golden rule, civil disobedience. Um, and this is just one more subject that we're kind of tackling now. Nice. What are some um, what are some things you've learned about trying to communicate these ideas to kids? I, I try and do it sometimes, but I find it sometimes difficult. Um, you know, for somebody who doesn't have an animation studio, <laughs> uh, did, do, do you have tricks that work without the animation studio? I mean, at the end of the day, a picture says a thousand words. That's that's. Um, <laughs> I well, I think we are approaching this because we have animation to communicate it more clearly. I think to do it verbally. Because I've tried to do it a lot over the years. I mean, the first time I bought some Bitcoin, it was $110. And I, I, bought, it, I bought it for $110. It quickly rose within a month to, I think, like $135. And I sold. And I thought I'd made off like a bandit. <laughs> I thought I'd done great. And then it proceeded to jet up to, you know, over to $2,000. And it had that first sort of bubble that happened. And anyway, so I, I go back a ways in Bitcoin. I haven't been following it as long as some of my brothers, but I've tried to explain to Bitcoin to people a lot. And so I've had a little bit of practice in doing it. And it's with varying degrees of success. Like you really have to just take time to break down one concept after, after another. That's the problem. It's not if you just understand this one concept, then you're going to get it. It's almost like you have to do like you did in your book where Let's let's talk about money first. What money actually is? Why why people are using money instead of just bartering and trading goods and services just straight straight across? And then you have to kind of go into things like, like you said, um, the energy that it takes to, to create money and all these different concepts. And so we try to do it in a way that we aren't touching on too many things, and that hopefully kids will get it. And at the end of the day, we'll experiment with that and <laughs> and see. But like I said. I, I'm quite certain that the adults are going to understand this better than the kids themselves. And hopefully the kids understand at least enough at a high level to create a basis for them learning more going forward and having good discussions with their parents about money that they've never had. Yeah. I think that that's really the, a good way of thinking of it. And in my experience, I think the really tricky part to communicate to young children is, I mean, that, that's really the critical point. If you can get them to just grasp the concept that once you have so much of something, then the value of it becomes less, the value declines because so much of it is out there. It's not very intuitive for kids to understand. But once you're able to sort of illustrate that with a few examples, then it becomes, uh, then you can sort of get to the intuitive appeal of Bitcoin. But as you said, ultimately, it's a difficult thing to do. I mean, with adults, you know, sometimes people will ask me, hey, can you give me a, like a 10-minute introduction that will help me explain Bitcoin? And I'm just generally... Like, <laughs> no, no, not, not 10 easy. minutes. Do you have an hour? Well, then we'll, we'll start yeah. there, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and even an hour. I mean, I, I, in 10 minutes, I could give you an introduction that will point you in the place where you need to go and read in order to understand what's going on. Um, even in an hour, I would say... So it's difficult to communicate the entire idea to kids. But the beautiful thing about trying to communicate it with kids, in my opinion, is that if you just give them that kernel of the idea, mm -hmm. then their imagination can run wild and they can get a lot of it. The smart kids will just sort of snap onto that idea and be able to understand the general context without it having to be laid out for them in detail, I think. Yes, I, I would agree. In fact, one of the things that I've done with my own kids around the dinner table and explaining the concept of inflation and money 
is we live right next to the Rocky Mountains. Um, I can see them out my window right here. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm in Provo, Utah, and there's this giant mountain uh, called Timpanogos. And what I say to my kids when I'm, when, you know, inflation's been on, a, on everybody's mind lately because there's a lot of it happening because of what the gov government has done with things like borrowing and stimulus and, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act and <laughs> all those different things. But um, I tell them, what if I gave you, um, what if I handed you a $100 bill? Would that be pretty cool? They're like, yeah, that'd be awesome. And I'm like, okay, now what if we took that mountain and turned it all into $100 bills? And then people could just go and grab it. Do you, what, do you think you'd be very excited about that $100? No, what would happen to the rest of the money? And they start understanding, oh, if that was all just a mountain of $100, $100 bills. And any, and everyone had easy access to it. Like, I'm like, what would it be worth then? And they're like, oh, I wouldn't really even want the money at that point because they, they, they can kind of wrap their head around how that would kind of destroy things. That there's this, that, that concept of scarcity, they almost understand innately if you start thinking of it in terms of like, well, what if the money's just everywhere? Is anybody going to want it? You know, no, of course not. It's going to devalue it. You have to have that that scarcity in order to, in order for people to have the the demand for it. Um, that's the only way that money works is with that scarcity. And so, again, just one little tidbit that seems like they've been able to grasp onto. If I compare it to a mountain of money, <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Okay, so what other episodes do you guys have? Well, what other topics have you discussed in, in the existing episodes? That's I'm looking at your episode here at angel.com. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned before, we've we've covered they have gone back in time to visit Frederick Bastia to learn about the rights to life, liberty, and property. And that when the government is kind of going beyond the role of the protection of those natural rights then it is becoming, it's no longer serving necessarily its proper function. We've talked about the golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we've also talked about free trade, um, where they go and visit Adam Smith. And they have learned about entrepreneurship, fulfilling a real need for people. And they learned about that from ben Benjamin Franklin. Um, again, inflation we covered, um, where they go and visit uh, Milton Friedman. And, and learn about that from him. They learn about protectionist laws, how the, the government isn't always doing its proper job of making a, a fair playing field for businesses. And sometimes it's favoring some businesses other, over others or making, making rules or laws that are very restrictive to smaller businesses, but that are helping the bigger businesses. And we've got civil disobedience and free, uh, free speech. We get into, we cover, also we go and visit John Locke and learn about the difference between a need and a right. And what, where's the government's role in that in providing for rights versus needs. And then we also have this latest one just before this, we talked about um, envy. How just because a business becomes really big, big and successful doesn't mean all of a sudden they're the bad guys. Um, when you are success is deserved when people are served. So if you have a really big business and assuming it's operating honestly, then it is serving lots of people. And that should be something that is rewarded and very much, you know, admired as opposed to people wanting to tear it down, which is a lot of what we see right now. 
but um, obviously some of that that anger is centered in you know cronyism. Um, but we'll be getting into that later on in this season as well. So we've got a lot of great subjects coming down coming down the way where we'll be talking uh, about socialism and, and communism. We're going to be talking about central planning, about subsidies, um, how when subsidies are there, the markets are not fair and it messes up the supply and demand curve. Yeah, so lots of stuff to come. <laughs> Excellent. This is really fascinating. I, uh, I mean, I really commend you. I, I've uh, thought before about maybe turning the Bitcoin standard into a children's book and considered to write it, but I just, it seemed to be like it would be more difficult than uh, writing it for adults because like you can, you can write for adults. You just sit down and <laughs> you write out the things that you want to say and you trust. It will be more difficult. Just prepare yourself for that. <laughs> but I still think it's worth doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the adult, will, you, you know they're going to sit down and focus and read. And so that's 90% of the battle won <laughs> compared to the children's books, which, you know, you have to even get them to pay attention in the first place. I think those those cartoons of yours do a terrific job with that. Uh, very, very, uh, very well done stuff. And these are ideas that, you know, don't get heard or promoted around modern culture at all. It's It's very rare that a... Any any venue for children will promote these kind of ideas when um, all kinds of other nasty propaganda gets shoved uh, down their throat all the time. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, kids really understand very well, kind of within themselves, the ideas of justice, right? What's fair. And so you you can break these concepts down for them in a way that's very logical, that helps them think critically about it. And it helps adults kind of cement what their beliefs are along with their kids as they're watching it as well. We have, it's over 80% of um, our episodes are watched with the parents, which has kind of been the intent with the show from the beginning. We wanted this to be a co-viewing experience so that those discussions would be happening in the home and not just like, oh, just throw your kids in front of the TV, let them watch and have a babysit them for a minute. And hopefully they're getting something good out of it. We, we want these discussions to be happening. And we find that when you break this, break this down into, into terms that kids can understand, it's very helpful for adults. We have people saying all the time things like, I understand inflation for the first time in my life. Like, I'm finally understanding these concepts. I think I'm, I'm learning as much as my kids. Where was this when I was... In, in elementary school and in high school, you know, the, we hear those comments all the time. And so that's really rewarding to see how much the adults themselves are getting out of it. And we tend to op over, I shouldn't say we, society, culture, the news tends to overcomplicate the issues very much so. Whereas I think there's a lot more simple solutions out there when it comes to the role of government when it comes to issues of economics and supply and demand. They're less complex than we than we normally make them out to be. And a lot of people have kind of just pushed that over to the side and said, oh, that's for the economists, that's for the politicians, and that's for, you know, our, our schools and stuff. Whereas there's a, a growing group of parents and kids that are saying, no, we can understand this stuff. We can start teaching, teaching our kids this stuff early and we can really arm them with some of these things to much better understand what are their natural rights, to much better understand how does the economy actually work? These are things 
We don't have to wait until we're in college or beyond or, or leave to other people. We all need to be able to understand this. And that's, that's really exciting to see. That's kind of what the Tuttle Twins movement is really all about. The book series and the TV show is so many more people just taking responsibility for their own self-education. I like how at the beginning of your book, you talk about how if you're going to get into Bitcoin, you need to be able to educate yourself on the risks of it and how you're going to go about getting into this, that there are real risks and that ultimately you need to take that responsibility upon yourself if you're going to invest in it and try to store value in it, that you need to be able to, you know, take charge of that and and do the due diligence and not just put that on somebody else or rely on, you know, whatever institution it is. And I think that is a, that's a much more empowering thing that we're, we're seeing a trend with with the parents. 2020 kind of woke parents up a little bit to what their kids were learning because they were actually seeing it coming into their into their home. And now they're like, okay, we can't wait around for schools to solve this problem. We can't wait around for government to solve this problem. We've got to solve it in our home first and foremost. And that's the tool that Tuttle Twins is providing to help them do. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think um, it's, it's, it's truly remarkable as you look at kids and what they learn, just how much irrelevant stuff uh, is taught to kids. One of my pet peeves in particular is dinosaurs. It's, it's, it's always extremely, extremely agitating to me how much time children waste learning about dinosaurs, things that don't exist that we're never going to see. It's completely pointless. And in my but mind, they're so cool. Why can't... Safety, they're so cool. <laughs> <laughs> they're not. You know what's cool? What's cool are the cows that you eat. Wouldn't it be better? If the kids were learning about the actual cows that they eat and the different breeds of animals they eat, Touché. different cuts of meat, Touché. it's it's really useful information that, you know, for me, I started learning this stuff in my 20s and 30s. And now I can talk to a butcher. Why didn't I learn that at school mm. instead of learning all this irrelevant trivia that is not going to ever matter? You, you're learning the color of dinosaurs that have never been seen. Right, right. Bones. It's all theory. Mm -hmm. and it's all theory. It's all hypothesized that it's all completely irrelevant, uh, zero actionable information. A lot of that is done in education. And I think a lot of it comes from the fact that, and, and I arrived at this conclusion for children having seen it happen at universities, wherein the teaching heads in the direction of what is easy to teach and what is conducive to being taught in an industrial mass production setting, you know, on an assembly line, rather than what is useful for the child. So you can get a lot more students through the assembly line, basically through the conveyor belt of schooling. If you're assigning them, you know, memorize those 30 names of dinosaurs and then the properties of those dinosaurs and then giving them an exam question where they have to answer about this kind of trivia and dinosaurs are perfect for that you know it's just a bunch of names and properties that you can memorize but a lot of education is just that a lot of education even at university level is just memorizing names of dinosaurs that you're never going to see but it's uh, it's intellectual hoop jumping you know you need to yeah. jump through those hoops and go over these rings and that's effectively what you see. And it's, it, it's tragic because, you know, children shouldn't be wasting their time learning this irrelevant information. There is so much relevant information for kids to learn. I mean, think about just how much stuff you would like to impart to a child. And it, it, it's so great that people like you are out there actually putting useful things in front of children rather than um, more irrelevant trivia. Well, it, it really boiled down to that for me when I approached this project. So I had, 
I had a career in advertising prior to this. Um, I was um, chief creative officer of an ad agency called Harmon Brothers. That's known for Squatty Potty, Poopery, Purple Mattress, Chat Books, some of those type of campaigns that have gone viral on the internet. And then when I was wanting to approach my first, my own, my own first story, uh, my business partner partner Benton was kind of pushing me towards let's do Tuttle Twins, and I was like. I don't know. Do I want to do a political thing for my for my first um, TV show? And I was a little bit hesitant to do it. But then when it came down to it, I'm like, wait a minute. I love these principles. I I I love freedom. This is something I want to teach to my kids. This is this is something I would have wanted as a kid that I want to have it for my kids. And I was like, if I don't do this, who's going to? And the answer was clearly no one, at least that I knew of. And so I was like, okay, I have to do this. Like somebody's got to do it. I can either complain about the resources and the culture that's out there, or I can go and create it. And so ultimately, that's what we decided to do is jump in and and create it and try to make a difference and make something. You know, I'm, I'm making something that I want, first and foremost, that I want for my kids. And as an extension, there's a whole bunch of other people that want that as well. And we get good, really good feedback from them of of what they want. And it helps us shape the show in a way that we feel like can be very beneficial to them. But it, I, I think you bring up a really good point. There's so much that's taught that that we learn in schools that ends up being not very applicable in life, right? Especially in the day-to-day. And there needs to be so much more focus on those types of things that will have real value in our day-to-day decision decision-making. And there needs to be a refocus on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Max has a question for you. Okay, yeah. Uh, yes, because I'm intrigued because, as I said, all of the topics are kind of complex uh, for kids, especially to understand. So what is the process? Let's let's say if you say the Bitcoin yeah. um, episode was one of the most uh, complex ones. How can we imagine it? It's like everybody in the team reading the Bitcoin standard and then like saying, okay, we need to focus on this. This mining part is not that important. Um, like... Yeah. Also, the other topics like socialism or capitalism. How 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 do you get from such a complex topic to the point that it's understandable for kids? That's a great question. So, what we start with is what is the one thing we have to teach inside of this episode? So, rather than being like, "Oh, let's let's do a fun garage sale where they have to decide if they're going to take Bitcoin or going to take dollars. Um, we don't start with that. And we don't say, oh, let's go into the internet and have fun in there. And let's go into a video game. We actually start with the lesson first. And then the story has to flow out of that. And in the case of Bitcoin, there were all these different things to cover. And ultimately, we decided the main takeaway was going to, going to be understanding the difference between hard money and easy money. And everything else had to be in support of those. So for example, we did have to explain a little bit of the blockchain and we illustrate that in the episode because that actually supports the case for why Bitcoin is hard. If you don't understand how the blockchain works and how that that ledger works and how it's verified with all those different computers across the network, miners, obviously, I'm using, I guess, I'm, I use more generalized term, terminology with this stuff because I'm trying to explain it to people that aren't as deep into it. I, mean, I know your audience can understand all this, but 
just forgive me, I'm using the more layman's terms, but that was in support of the fact that Bitcoin was hard and showing the history of what happened with gold and what happened with seashells was also in support of that main argument of what's hard money versus what's easy money. So we'll have kind of our main thesis of, okay, hard money, that's, that's hard to create. Easy money, that's easy to create. And so the main takeaway lesson becomes when um, money is easy to make, society begins to break, right? That's kind of the what kids will hear as far as like the effect in, in their minds. And so we, we actually do that with every one of our episodes where we say, okay, if they forget everything else, what is it the one thing they have to remember? And so in the case of inflation, Back in season um, season one, our, our episode six in the inflation episode, it's called Inflation Monster. We teach about how inflation is created. Essentially, it's created by printing a whole bunch of money that doesn't exist and having no nothing that it's really tied to. And that the one little line we use in there is inflation hurts a nation. And so it's a very similar kind of thing to uh, what we're teaching in Bitcoin, but it's, it's a little bit more foundational to understanding, oh, inf inflation's not happening because of corporate greed. I mean, obviously that could play a role, but you know, those are the things we hear out there. Oh, it's all, it's all corporate greed. Oh, it's, it's all this. There's all these other factors of like, oh, this supply, supply and demand stuff. Well, yeah, it does come down to supply and demand, but it's all the supply and demand of the money itself, right? They've just created all this money out of thin air. And so that is the number one factor. There's a lot of other little factors, but the main one is they've just taken the currency. And inflated it. They've made it that much bigger. And we visualize that so so kids can see it. And um, it makes it much more, much more clear to them. And then in the case of we have an, an episode in season one where we talk about being able to disagree with someone. That disagree doesn't mean enemy. That just because you have a difference of opinion, or even if you're right and the other person's wrong, or vice versa, that doesn't make you enemies. It just means you're not seeing things eye to eye. And we focus it all in on kind of that 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 one concept there. And so everything else in the episode kind of has to be in support of that one main idea. That's kind of the way we're thinking of it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, maybe if I can uh, ask another question, because like a lot of Bitcoiners want to orange pill the world and uh, some people are talking to government officials, some people are just talking to their friends. And it seems like You're, you're an expert on storytelling. Like, um, so what can the normal people learn how to really get the story across? Because I think every Bitcoiner is very passionate about Bitcoin and what it is. But I guess you always have to tell it for, or like there are so many different ways to explain Bitcoin. So what are like storytelling things that we could learn as Bitcoiners maybe? Well, first off, if you watch this episode that we have on it, I think you'll, they're all, they'll already understand more than 90% of politicians, at least. Um, um, That's a very low bar. Though. It is a very low bar. Thank you. Yes, it is. So I, I think for me, what connected was being able to visualize the blockchain, meaning If I understood, and we do this in the episode where we have a visual of different computers that are all connected to this one thing, Bitcoin, right? And that if one, one is putting in bad information, 
that all the other computers are rejecting it and that you're not really relying on any one individual to do the right thing morally, to do the right thing by society, any of that. Instead, you're just working with computers that are mathematically doing it. That's when I, for me, the first time understood Bitcoin, that was what kind of clicked for me is like, oh, it's across a whole network and all it is, is all the transactions, the ledger are all put together. And then when something's out of place in that, all the other computers let you know, no, that's wrong. That doesn't belong here and it gets rejected. And I'm like, and if that's the case, holy mackerel, we're not reliant on our federal reserve to make good decisions on our behalf. And we're not reliant on any government to do that. And we're not reliant on any banks. And this is actually being controlled by mathematical computers that aren't going to go and get tempted by the power that they can bring to themselves. That was a really empowering thing for me in my mind. And hopefully we've done it well enough in the episode that that it can it can help some people open their eyes a little bit. That's terrific. Thank you so much, Daniel. Does anybody else from the audience have any questions for Daniel? You're welcome to ask yourself questions here. We welcome philosophical introspection. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I can ask myself questions. Well, gosh, I'm trying to think if there's there's something I wanted to cover that I haven't yet with it. I would say one of the advantages we had in this episode was being able to test a lot of the information before going out with it. So we 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 tested this on our audience in reading the script beforehand. Um, we gave them kind of an early draft of the script and we tested it with different people. Here we have a brain trust of creatives that sort of review and give feedback for each of our episodes at each stage of development. So at each draft of the script, they give feedback and then at each stage of the animatic. So the animatic is just the collection of storyboards all put together in a rough form before we take it to animation. And the good news was we had people here internally that after they gave feedback on the episode, they were like, oh, I finally get it. And they went out and bought Bitcoin. So that was good. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to, we're not trying to hard sell Bitcoin at all with this, but the fact that they just, they, they didn't need to be hard sold on it. When they actually understood it, they were like, okay, I need to put some money into this. Um, I need to like diversify a little bit here and make Bitcoin part of that. We had several members of our team that did that, that weren't like, Bitcoin or crypto heads. I don't even know what the terms are, but they were not into this world prior to giving feedback on this episode. And then after doing so, they're like, oh, I understand this now. Oh, I need to do something about this. I need to get some of my money into this. That was that was an encouraging thing. But that's good to know. So I'm guessing, you know, the way Bitcoin goes, next uh, season is just going to be all Bitcoin, right? <laughs> so we will have, I think, and be, because it's because governments don't seem to be learning learning their lesson, and politicians uh, seem to be serving their self-interest more and more, not just here in the United States, but around the world, we will likely have, for as long as this show exists, we will likely have an episode that deals with inflation and money to some degree in this way every single season. That's kind of the, the thought right now, because it's just, it's never not going to be relevant and it's never not going to be something that people are going to need to learn and understand more about. So that is the plan for now is to always have 
this this is the episode for this for this season that is very much diving into monetary policy and in this case you know going into bitcoin and why that that is hard money but yeah we'll be dealing with with something with this money and at least one episode of every season that we do. For as long as fiat money exists, I think once uh, Bitcoin takes over, money is just going to become as boring as uh, plumbing and infrastructure. <laughs> it's just something that works. You know, you've got a bunch of adults in charge of uh, making it happen. So you can join them. You know, if you want to work as an engineer in plumbing or in money, you can go and enter the business. Or you could just benefit from the fact that there's a competitive market that provides it and you're free to choose whoever provides that service for you. I think... It's, uh, <laughs> I've, I've, I've joked before that Bitcoin is here to make money boring again. It's, money is not supposed to be exciting. Uh, that'd be great. Yeah. That would be a huge blessing. There's no reason why anybody should know anything about what fractional reserve banking is. The only reason we have to know that is because it's the only banking system that's around. I mean, the vast majority of people would tell you, you know, I'd rather just have a bank that keeps my money there and allows me to make payments so I could run my business. And I don't, I don't need to get into all of these banking regulations and rules and a small print in order to just simply keep my money. And the answer is you don't do it to keep your money. You do it to keep right. the system <laughs> right. running so that the system can benefit from you. It's not for your benefit. It's um, for you to be uh, ripped, basically. Yeah, and I, that's one of the things I'm the most passionate about when I learned about the economics of inflation and the, one of the things that, quite honestly, Ron Paul opened my eyes to is that inflation is the hidden tax on the poor. And that's the, that's the really sad thing for, to me about it is that those of the least amount of capability in the most disadvantaged situations are actually getting hurt the worst by this, that it is the transfer of wealth to the well-connected and to the people at the top. And that's why it's so... It's so immoral. It's so wrong what's happening with it. And so, like you said, maybe we'll go into fractional reserve banking uh, for for season three of our, our our episode that deals with money. But yeah, I mean, I, I just love I love what you're doing here to open people's eyes to what's going on, because like you said, you want to give as many people the pill as, as, as can take it. But, you know, it's kind of a step at a time. Not not everybody can make that full jump from from not knowing much of anything about money and how it works to like, oh, I get Bitcoin and now this is the way it is. But like you said, hopefully we we see enough adoption and we see enough of the tide turn towards this this kind of a sound currency, this kind of hard money being the case that we don't even have to think about it on the daily anymore. That would be an amazing world. Indeed. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for everything that you do. It's, it's a great job that you guys are doing and I wish you all the best of luck moving forward in the future. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Cheers. Have a good day.